Exchanging Data podcast number two. Hi, this is Dan Fry, and you are listening to episode two of my Exchanging Data podcast series. In this episode, I'm going to talk about building the web services that will allow us to share our restaurant data with other websites and mobile applications. We'll start out by reviewing what I discussed in episode one, then I will talk about a couple types of web services. Lastly, I will go over the restaurant application. Please remember, you can find all the code I'm discussing in this podcast series on github.com slash dmfry slash exchanging data presentation. In the previous episode, I covered a couple of data formats that can be used for sharing data over web services. They included XML and JSON. I briefly covered JSONP for interacting with web services that do not originate from your domain. And finally, I outlined the data model for the restaurant application. I'm going to compare two types of web services, and I'm going to classify them as heavyweight and lightweight. First, let's talk about the heavyweight web services. These types of services must conform to simple object access protocol, or SOAP. SOAP is simply an XML envelope that surrounds your incoming requests and outbound payloads. The contents of these envelopes is also XML, but they conform to the application specification. The SOAP protocol defines the architecture and message formats that your web services consume and produce. SOAP web services are published onto the internet through a strict specification called the Web Services Description Language, or WSDL for short. This specification is another XML document that describes the syntax of the web service. It is not mandatory to produce a WSDL document, but every SOAP web service I have come across has one. Since the WSDL contains the syntax of the web service, it is often used to generate client factories for you to use within your application when you want to invoke a web service. As an example, if I were to expose the restaurant web service as a SOAP web service, it would run on a URL like http colon slash slash localhost slash restaurant slash restaurant service. The corresponding WSDL document would then have to be accessible at http colon slash slash localhost slash restaurant slash restaurant service question mark WSDL. Now I'm going to talk about why this is a heavyweight service. First, these web services need to adhere to a formal contract. This can be defined in the WSDL document. It also needs to define the web service location, any bindings that are required, and the details of the messages and operations it provides. The architecture needs to possibly handle transaction management, security, establishing a trust relationship, and among other things. All the previous mentioned items make this a heavyweight web service, but only as it applies to deploying the web service on the server. If I want to call these SOAP web services, I not only need to conform to the, to the application contract, I also need to conform to the SOAP specification. Generating all this data and pushing it into requests could be very time consuming. Also, you have to unwrap the response to get access to the data when it is returned. If your client is, let's say, another application running on a server, it's not as big a deal to do this work. But if you want to do this in a website that is very JavaScript heavy, it becomes almost unusable as the constant building and tearing down of the SOAP envelope and parsing the XML will provide a poor user experience. Since I develop mostly web applications now, I have moved away from producing and consuming SOAP-based web services. Which brings me to lightweight web services. Representation state transfer, or REST, web services are well suited to basic ad hoc integration needs. They integrate better with HTTP and do not require SOAP message wrappers or WSDL documentation, 
It is often cheaper to produce web services that use well-known technologies such as HTTP, URI, MIME, XML, and JSON. Access to these existing technologies also makes them easier to adopt. Producing your web services as RESTful web services is especially beneficial under the following circumstances. Number one, interactions are completely stateless. This means that they do not require their state to be persisted between restarts of the application server. Number two, a caching infrastructure can be leveraged to increase performance. This would allow less round tripping to the database to load data. Number three, the producer of the web service and the consumer of the web service have a mutual understanding of the data. To aid the consumer, you can easily use a command line tool called CURL, debugger inside of Firefox called Firebug, or the simple REST client inside of Google Chrome to easily interact with these web services to better understand the results you receive when calling a RESTful web service. Number four, RESTful web services work extremely well in bandwidth restricted environments such as consuming data on a mobile phone. No soap wrapper means less data to send over the wire or through the air. Number five, RESTful web services allow for easy integration via asynchronous protocols. Think of something like Google Reader or Gmail, where the page updates on its own with no interaction from you. Now that I've covered the types of web services, I'm going to talk about building the restaurant web application. When we talk about building web services, it is not so much as the underlying application and what it is built with, but more the application programming interface or API we are planning to expose. We are more concerned with things like, when I do an HTTP GET, to some URL with this ID, what do I expect to be returned? Will it be JSON or XML, or will it be an HTML page? These are the types of decisions you must make when planning out your API. The API for our restaurant application starts out with our root context. The application is a restaurant menu application, so it's conceivable that the root context is called forward slash restaurant. I could access this URL as HTTP colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant. Now what does this return? If I plug this URL into my browser, I will see a form that lets me manage my restaurants. Ideally, this type of functionality would be hidden behind some security measure. What happens when I drop down to the command line and plug the same URL into CURL and change my content type, header MIME type, to be application forward slash JSON? When I press enter, I should expect to see the data for all my restaurants formatted as JSON. Change the content type header to application forward slash XML, and what do you see? If you guess restaurant data formatted as XML, you're catching on. Now let's say we are getting back our restaurant data, but I only want to see the data for the second restaurant in the list. If you were to implement this in a traditional form, you would probably expose a URL such as HTTP colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant question mark restaurant ID equals two where you would pass in two as the identifier to the query string portion of the URL which is everything after the question mark. Think now if you wanted to access just one menu from our menu data. You would need query string parameters that would pretty much cover every object in our model just to produce enough data so that you could produce your search logic to drill down to the appropriate object and retrieve it. 
REST provides us with much more flexible option by allowing URL itself to become parameterized so that when you build your controller logic to handle such requests, it automatically drills down to that specific object. It is for this reason that I can now access Restaurant 2 by going to http colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant forward slash 2. Now let's say you want to see all the menus available for Restaurant 2. Just tack on a forward slash menus. That URL would look like http colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant forward slash 2 forward slash menus. Likewise, we now just want to see the breakfast menu, which happens to be menu 1 in the list. Just go to http colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant forward slash 2 forward slash menus forward slash 1. Where I'm plugging in the IDs of the restaurant and menu, I'm actually populating a URL path value that is not set until it's actually invoked. I haven't actually hard-coded specific URLs for restaurant 2 in the application. Now think back to our restaurant model. I have restaurants which have menus. Each menu can have many sections. Each section can have many menu items. Let's define the whole API right now. For brevity, these will be starting from our root context of forward slash restaurant. Also, they will always go from right to left, plural to singular. So forward slash restaurant will return all of our restaurants. Forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID will return just one restaurant. Forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID, forward slash menus will return all the menu all the menus like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID, forward slash menus, forward slash menu ID will return just one menu like the dinner menu. Forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID, forward slash menus, forward slash menu ID, forward slash sections will return all the sections for a particular menu for a restaurant. These are things like your appetizers, soups and salads, sides, entrees, etc. Forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID, forward slash menus, forward slash menu ID, forward slash section, forward slash section ID will return just one section, like the entree section or the salad section or something like that. Forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID, forward slash menus, forward slash menu ID, forward slash section, forward slash section ID, forward slash menu items will get all of the menu items in the section. And lastly, forward slash restaurant, forward slash restaurant ID, forward slash menus, forward slash menu ID, forward slash sections, forward slash section ID, forward slash menu items, forward slash menu item ID will get just one menu item from that menu. This API shows you how you can get data tied to each endpoint. However, by utilizing the various HTTP request methods, each endpoint can fulfill multiple purposes. HTTP defines four main methods of interaction. They are get, post, put, and delete. There are a few more, but they are not relevant here. Get is used just as I described, but how would I add a new menu to Restaurant 2? A typical form submission on a web page will specify post as the form submission method. So when I post a form to http colon slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant forward slash 2 forward slash menus, I'm expecting that a new menu will get added to the list of menus for Restaurant 2. Now if we want to update the details for Restaurant 2, I would first do an HTTP get for the restaurant by going to HTTP colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant forward slash 2 
Then I would sim submit my changes as an HTTP put to signify that I want to update the data instead of making a whole new restaurant. I'm assuming you can figure out what an HTTP delete will do. This is a very simplified API for demonstration purposes. But my question to you is, does this look familiar at all? If you go to facebook.com slash dmfry or enter your own name, likewise go to twitter.com slash dmfry or again enter your own Twitter handle. Both Facebook and Twitter did not have someone create you a specific URL, let alone every user of the application. It is all handled by the path variables you set up when you were constructing your own API. Hopefully you're still with me and you're interested in knowing a little how I built this application. But I want to first say that it doesn't really matter what language I wrote the service in. So long as you have the ability to construct URL path variables like in our restaurant API, you can write the web service in any language you like. Personally, I'm a Java developer, so I wrote the restaurant application using Java in version 3.1 of my preferred Java framework called the Spring Framework. You can find out more about the Spring Framework at springframework.org. It is an open source Java framework for constructing Java enterprise applications. If you are familiar with Java, this has nothing to do with Enterprise Java Beans, and that's all I will say about that. It is, in my opinion, the best framework for developing Java applications, especially web applications. I do want to reiterate, even though I wrote this in Java, it could just as easily have been Ruby, Python, PHP, or any other web framework that supports what I have described in this podcast. If you're interested in seeing the code, please feel free to grab a copy from the GitHub repository I set up for this series. All of my code related to this series is located there. If you decide you want to give it a look, take notice that in the Java directory you will find the restaurant application. In that directory will be a source folder for all the source code and a target folder which will contain a deployable war file. You can drop this war file into the web apps directory of any Tomcat installation. If you are running Linux, you should be able to find Tomcat in most distribution repositories. If you're running Windows or Mac OS, you can go to tomcat.apache.org and download the latest server. Follow the simple instructions to set up and run Tomcat, then drop the war file into the web apps directory and it will deploy. When complete, you should be able to access the application in your browser at http colon slash slash localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant. This address should sound familiar since I used it specifically in this podcast. When the application deploys, it will generate an in-memory database so that you can play around with the functionality of the website. It does, it does contain considerable test data for you to play with as well. When you bring up the web page, you will see a link in the header called API. It defines the entire API as we described in this podcast. If you would like to look a little deeper into this exercise, again, please grab the source code from the GitHub repository. You should be able to look at the code in any text editor. Or, if you want more control, you can import this project directly into any recent version of Eclipse. Eclipse is a general purpose integrated development environment, or IDE for short. Personally, I forgo vanilla Eclipse and use one specifically tailored by the architects of the Spring framework called the Spring Source Tool Suite. You can find this version at springsource.com. Note that's different than springsource.org, like I mentioned earlier. If you are looking for vanilla Eclipse, you can find it at eclipse.org. Once imported into Eclipse or STS, it will build automatically using a tool called Maven, which will go out and fetch all the required libraries for you. If you're using SpringSource Tool Suite, it already has Tomcat set up and configured to run. Right-click the server at the bottom left corner of the screen, click Add or Remove Programs, when the pop-up appears, select Restaurant and click OK. Then press the green play button right above the server 
name you just right clicked on. When the server starts up, you can go to localhost colon 8080 forward slash restaurant to play around with the site. In either case, when you go to the site when launched, you can click on the API link in the header. This page not only defines the API, but also shows you how you can interact with just the data by using CURL or a couple of browser tools that plug into Firefox and Chrome. That is all for this episode. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at any of the places mentioned at the end of this podcast. In the next episode, I will go over how you can interact with the data from another website, as well as describe how to access the data in a native app running on an Android phone. Thank you for listening. My name is Dan Fry, and I'm the Senior Web Architect at Knoll Incorporated. I co-host the Myth TV Cast podcast, and I'm a regular co-host on the Linux Link Tech Show. The Myth TV Cast podcast can be found at mythtvcast.com. The Linux Link Tech Show can be found at tllts.org and streams live every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I can be reached on Google Plus at plusdanielfry, on Twitter and Identica at dmfry, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash dmfry. The projects in this presentation can be found on GitHub under github.com slash dmfry slash exchanging data presentation. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever consider recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.